theme song for the Gipokraster. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Troy Nabobon. My name is Leon Todd. It is a pleasure to be back. Thank you to everybody who has been supporting the Gear Podcast over the entirety of the podcast, people who tune in on their preferred podcast app or people who stream the show on YouTube. We really, really appreciate the support. We've been having a great time doing it. And uh, thank you for enabling us to do what we like to do. Yep. How's your week been, Troy? Oh, yeah, not too bad, mate. I'm a little bit sick at the moment again. Just a cold this time. Not anything too dastardly, but... Um yeah, just ne- enough, just enough to make you feel a bit yuck. Needless to say, it's uh, running nose, running nose, runny nose, and um, just general misery in uh, in Troyland. What about you, mate? What's been happening? I oh, can't complain, mate. Just did a little uh, interview and Vogue style fashion shoot for the local paper. Yeah, you did, which should be interesting. Great. And other than that, did. Very little over the weekend because the weather was so nice. I just kind of mm. like I sat outside in the sun and feels like that's where that went. So got a couple of gigs this weekend and yeah, just been, been, uh, there's a few, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, the things that I shan't be talking about <laughs> will actually be released. But yeah, there's some, some cool gear coming out. So. Teasing. Um, yeah. What did you, what gigs you got this weekend? At the Hen on Friday with Ryan and then a uh, friend of the podcast, the one and only Nick Delena, doing the Canfield with him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and do you want to do you want to come to the Dockers on um, Saturday night? Oh, oh, could do, mate. Like, if you gonna- is that gonna is that gonna because are you doing that gig while the other ones? I think your happening? gig finishes at five, and I think I'm on at like something 5:30. like thirty. So if um, that's pretty awesome. I, that reminds me, I need to actually message, but I'm going to um, get tickets for the family to, to come by. So, if you want to just walk over the road, mate, if I can get a spare one for you, you're welcome to come. I'll do that. I'll watch you do your thing. Play um, on the roof of Optus Stadium. Mate, I'll be I'll be there just kicking ass, hopefully getting the boys over the line. <laughs> because that's the thing that you do, Troy. You get the boys over the line. I do my best, mate. Just play my role. Go out there. I got recognized at the uh, at the pool today um, when my daughter really? was having- Yeah, when uh, my daughter was having a swimming lesson. Um and my partner was in the pool with her and I just wandered over to say, oh, you know, how you going, sweetie? And apparently um, one of the other mums went up to my partner and said, oh, is that the guy from the Dockers? And she said, yeah, And she yeah, went, yeah. no, it's the guy from the Gear podcast? <laughs> yeah. Um, although I told you this, Leon, uh, because of the, the Dockers guitar thing, and we've talked about this in the past, for so anyone that's listened to this podcast knows, uh, knows that I do that, but um, I think I'm going to be available on Cameo very soon, mate. So you can That's pay, pretty exciting. You can anyone can uh pay twenty dollars ish, maybe twenty five, uh, to get me to say happy birthday or you know. Uh, can you do it in the same way you do the gear podcast theme song? Happy birthday, Jaden. Yeah, there you go. That's sort or, of thing. or could you sing uh birthday message from the Troy? From the Troy. No, I think it's, um, I've got to record the little um, intro video because that's part of it. You have to say, um, you know, I guess who you are and what you do sort of thing. I had the confirmation email come in at about 11 p.m. on Friday night. And I was really pumped because I was thinking, yes, that's, this is my ticket. This is my residual income for the, my, the rest of my life because everyone's going to want me to give them a shout out. But then, um, yeah, the weekend sort of passed by. I didn't record the video and I just forgot about it a little bit. So... Maybe that's something to do today. I'm actually there wearing a Frio shirt-ish, if you can see that in the camera. Hey, is, there you go. Uh, 
a true actually, Dockers fan. Don't actually, hold it against him. It's actually not a uh, true female Dockers t-shirt. It's the t-shirt. It's the merch of Taylor King, a local Perth wrestler, who I played. I played to the ring um, in a match about a year and a half ago, two years ago, which was one of the highlights of my life. To have a wireless guitar, and uh, you know, as the as the you know music starts, and I'm just playing his theme song, and man, bloody beautiful time. I think the only thing that could be better would be if you played Rick Boogs into the ring. Oh, Rick Boogs can play himself into the ring. That's the problem. He, he but needs- you could harmonize with him. Racer X, Rick Boogs, Boogs, Troy from the Gear Podcast, now, Docker if- Rocker. We may have mentioned him before, but if you're not familiar, Rick Boogs, he's a WWE superstar. He's a uh, fitness. Uh, what, what do you call it? A fitness or a uh, lifestyle? What, you, what is that thing he does? Oh, he's a uh, he's just an energy, isn't he? Yeah, Eric Bugenhagen. Uh, and look, if you want to see somebody like lift the most ridiculous weights and then just like absolutely riff out some Cannibal Corpse or Judas Priest, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's like everything that we like wrapped up in one YouTube video, but not strictly a guitar channel. It's just very funny. But um, you know, I hope he's okay. Like we, Leon and I have talked about this. He's He's doing like a massive weight gain exercise at the moment and he looks real out of breath. So, you know, some of these guys are dropping like flies, man, these um, uh, bodybuilder types. So, yeah, I hope he kind of takes care of himself. It's almost like looking, it's almost like what we think looks healthy isn't healthy. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like that. Hey, um, and as musicians, we know all about being unhealthy. Oh, mate. Well, you know, I've said like over COVID, I thought everyone was going to get fat. So I just kept eating and eating and eating, making mac and cheese and steaks and stuff. And then turns out not everyone did that. So I ended up being the, the ultra unhealthy uh, version of myself for the last couple of years. It sucked. But and you do cook a mean steak. Oh, mate. I, phew, steak I cooked a week and a half ago, just just un- unbelievable. Um Let's um let's talk about a little bit of gear. Let me just first say, Uncle Leon, you might notice um, oh, I meant to call you Unky Leon today. I forgot, Unky Lee, yeah. <laughs> Unky Unky Herb. Um, you'll notice the back corner of the rack, the pink Mesa Boogie Dual Rectifier is gone. So and what's going on there, mate? What what has happened? Oh, Why? It's a, it's a sad Where day. Where is it going? Well, let me just say we are. Uh, it's out now. It's it's been out for a couple of weeks. By the time this goes up, but um, we had a chat to James Lugo, now friend of the show. And I have watched a few of his videos on his channel recently um, because his, uh, he's got some great videos where it's just he, he's sitting in the studio, he's playing through the amp, twisting some knobs, putting a pedal on and off. What does this sound like? What does that sound like? Doing some sound examples, making some notes. Um, it was, it's, it's good. It's a, it's a good way of demoing amps like that. It's real. Yeah. You know, it's real. That's what I can say about it. Yeah. But I loved his um, rectifier sound. I thought that's um, that's the sort of recto tone that I like, but I don't often get that tone. It's Sometimes it's too fizzy. Sometimes it's too boomy, but he had it really dialed in. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll fire it up today and try and steal some settings and have a bit of a, a play around. So I f- fired the amp up, turned him on. And um, yeah, channel two and channel three, just nothing coming out. Not, not a oh, no. So channel one was okay. And, um, you know, because look, just to bring it back to some other guests, um, Jason Headfirst, um, he, after having a chat to him, I spent a couple of nights just obsessing about tube amp circuits and reading schematics and all this sort of stuff. So I don't know anything, but I know maybe enough to be dangerous. So I thought I'll, I'm not going to open the amp up really and have a look at it, but we'll just see if we can work a couple of things out. So uh, 
as it turns out, tube uh, V3 in the recto uh, was a bit busted up. So I did swap. I I took the uh, the socket things off the tubes, and that one wasn't blowing. So I kind of looked it up, and as it turns out, V3 is the uh, like the boost circuit in channel two and three of the recto. Uh, So that kind of makes sense, right? If yep. your channel two and three are working, channel one's completely fine. It's there's probably something a bit janky going on. So I took that tube out, put a different tube in there just to test it. That didn't help. The amp still didn't work on channel two and three. I put the original tube back in V three from the, the recto, and uh, then that proceeded to uh, actually explode, which is quite funny. Whoa. So um, <laughs> actually, do you I see the it? magic smoke? I didn't see the magic smoke, but. Do I still have it? I thought I might have actually put the tube in the bin. And um, sorry for the leaky nose. I'll just use tissue. But uh, yeah, it was actually a, a proper glass breaking. It was quite quite oh. funny. So I've, I've, that's that's in for a birthday at the moment. Um, I paid five hundred dollars for that app. It's a uh, just. A, it's given you five hundred dollars worth of value and then some. Hey? Yeah, it absolutely has. I've used it on quite a few sessions, and it's uh, it's a sound like it's a useful, important sound that we all know and love. And so, yeah, to get a service, I don't really want to retube the whole thing uh, because probably at this point, it's not worth it to me to re unless they're all cooked and like they really need to be changed. I'll kind of let it run a bit longer. But that's just the problem, man. You know what it's like. You got lots and lots of valve amps. They need services, but. When you got lots and lots of stuff, you don't use that. Let's like, I'm looking exactly. Leon right behind you. How many guitars going to see? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight guitars, nine guitars, and that's a quarter of your collection there. You're not changing the strings on every those every one of those guitars every year. You just change them on the one no. you use. You'll probably exactly. It's a it's an on demand service. Exactly. So as I say, with the tube amps, I got lots of lots of other options at the moment. So we'll just wait for that one to come back, and uh, yeah, it'll be. It'd be interesting to see what uh, what the problem is. I'll guess well, if it- anybody else listening to this has had a similar dilemma, similar problem with their amps, they're more than welcome to let us know in the comment section and let us know which of your amps needs a birthday or which one did you put off having a birthday that when you got it back, you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Why didn't I do this sooner? Hey, um, do people talk like that in other places? Do people say, oh, this it needs a service, therefore it needs a birthday? Or is that an Australian thing? Uh, I think that's pretty Aussie. I, I kind of associate it with you. Like I, I say that now because I heard you say it. That's yeah. <laughs> one of the, the 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 many magical things about how language works, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I I heard that when I was at uni. Um, right. And it was actually it was in reference to a. This is just another really nerdy thing, but probably appropriate. We used to have an old Soundcraft mixing console at the university I went to. It was a Soundcraft six thousand, which oh, excuse me, was a great desk actually. Great desk to learn signal flow and gain structure and all yeah, those wonderful right. things. But the faders were always really scratchy. So you could obviously replace the faders, but um, that's expensive. I, they, you don't really spray contact cleaner in them to clean them out. But I believe what they, they went off to some treatment where it got just shocked with vibrations or something like that to oh, right. loosen up whatever was on there. And yeah, it, had a, it was a term. I think that's how they service those faders, which was... You know, probably still not cheap, but cheaper than replacing the whole thing and less dangerous than just spraying with uh, contact cleaner or whatnot. So anyway, that was that was the first time I heard the expression uh, that, yeah, the console needs a bit of a birthday. Yeah, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, Troy, shall we talk about something that's very dear to both of our hearts, namely some rack gear today and oh. how, you know, rack gear was kind of crucial to 
both of our journeys and how, you know, part of the reason we became buddies and yep. part of the reason we do this. And we'll talk about real rat gear, Uncle Leon. We're not talking about Axe Effects 3. Like, fuck Axe... No, I'm kidding. Not fuck Axe Effects 3. But let's talk about the, o- the old stuff. The nerd The OGs stuff. of because, the rat game. Yeah, you can... Yeah, the... Um, the the new stuff is amazing, but we'll we'll keep it pre two thousand. I feel like the new stuff is amazing. It just happens to come in a rack format. You yep. know, it's not uh, it's not part of that. You know, s- making studio gear in a particular format that works in a studio that musicians ended up wanting to take out on the road. So, yep. you know, yeah, that whole history, I guess, and you know, links links in with guys like Bradshaw and Sir and yeah. a bunch of that stuff where. You have these guitar players playing on these records where they wanted to be able to get the same sounds that they had in the studio out on the road, but yeah. it wasn't like it was now where you can just, oh, you want to, you want the sound of a UA, uh, you want the sound of a Lexicon 224, well, you just go and get a UA Golden. There yeah. you go, spend a few hundred bucks, pop it on your pedal board, and you've got that sound. Uh, back then, if you wanted that sound, there was only one thing that did it. Yeah. So, you're, you gigged with a rack for a while in the 2000s, which sounds crazy yeah. now. <laughs> which sounds a long, long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah. And again, uh, we're talking like, because you had a uh, JMP1. Uh, I did. Yeah. I still have well. two of them, um, which is crazy. Uh, which actually, so, Leon, brings me to my point I said before we recorded. Um, there is a JMP1 for sale locally for 250 today. <laughs> and mate. I almost bought it, but I just don't need one of those units at the moment. It's um, another thing. That's another thing that will never get used. But those things, like- That's even, a great price on one now. Man, even 15 years ago when I was obsessed with rack stuff, you couldn't find a JMP1 for less than like maybe $400. So that's Yeah, a- they, they were a bit more premium. They weren't like tri-axis level sort of prices, but yep. they definitely sold more for more than an ADA MP1, which I think is the avatar for guitar rack gear now when most people think of it. Yep. When someone says, 80s guitar rack gear, the ADA MP1 is the thing. Yep that everybody thinks of. And, you know, we spoke to Michael Nielsen last week and the MP1 thing came up and they're too expensive now. You know, I don't think they're worth the prices they go for. Uh, I think- And I'm to blame, aren't I? Yeah, you legitimately shoulder some of that blame, Leon, um, for being, for jacking the prices. Yeah, the the JHS of rack guitar gear, (laughs) Leon Todorovic. Uh, Can I say (laughs) a full surname? Leon Leon Todd. People should know that. It's like, uh, you know, once I heard that Alex Lifeson's real name was Alex Zivanovich and he oh, there you go. had Yugoslavian parents, I was like, cool, I'm Leon Todd, done. You know, That's and funny. having two Ds in the stage name and uh, public persona and one D in the email, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a necessary filter, put it that way. Yeah, I like it. Um, but yeah, the ADA MP1, um, you've told a few times the story of your dad having that. Uh, when you were growing up, right? So, and he used to- Yeah, so I'll retell that story. He recounts, you know, it coming out and seeing it and basically it being like, hey, you have, uh, you know, you have a great, like, super clean with chorus. You have a modded Marshall sound in there and you have like a Fender sound all in one box and it stores presets, you MIDI it up and it's all- in a single rack space. So you just get this thing. I think he had a Digitech DSP 128 oh, and yeah, then a yeah. Rocktron Intellifex. Mm-hmm. You just do these and then you've got all the sounds. You have the ADA MC1, which I've still got. So he bought one new from Pro Audio 
which is over in Canberra. He mail ordered it. Uh, but yeah, said it was basically those things came out and like you had to have one. Everyone yep. who was gigging in Perth had one. And, you know, everyone I speak to who played guitar in bands back in the late 80s, early 90s will always be like, yeah, the ADA MP1, you know? I remember yep. those things. So well, I think it um, was kind of the, it was, it was definitely a proto modeler, wasn't it? Because, mm. hey, here's disparate things that people have separate units for. Put them all in one box. Yep. Add chorus, go. I, I remember, I mean, I got one in uh, 2006, and I've said this before, that and my Marshall cabinet I got on eBay for a very, very good price. Um, I was interested in it because of the Paul Gilbert videos that I was watching yeah. the Intense Rock One. Uh, right. Intense Rock One, in which he had two MP1s and a rack, and I thought, well, if that's what Paul Gilbert's using, I need to have that and a Rocktron um, Hush, and I think a Midi Bird Two he had as well. Yeah, that's so right. That was uh, clearly and a Furman Power Conditioner, I think, and may maybe maybe not. I actually can't remember a BBE Sonic Maximizer, but we could talk about the units in a minute. I remember. I just thought of this then. Um, in 2004, I have a really distinct memory of being at a rehearsal with my very first band. Uh, so I was about 16 and I had an, a Marshall ABT 100, um, combo. Yeah. Which was, had three channels on it. Um, so you get clean channel and then two dirty channels. And I think I would have had maybe a distortion pedal as well, but I remember like playing and thinking like, this song, we, you know, your first band, every song sounds different. We had one song that was a pop punk song, one that was like a thrash metal song, um, one that was like an indie rock song. It's just, you know, 16-year-olds playing. But thinking like, all right, well, this song's going to have this sound, this song's going to have that sound. But being really confused, confused as to how I would go from that sound to that sound because I could press the button and change the channels on the app, but then the pedal board that I had, which had maybe three pedals on it, then I have to change those pedals as well. But then the levels between everything is all really different. And I remember thinking, man, like this is sort of, this is weird. This is not right. Like how do the- Yeah, how do people do it? Yeah, how do people do it? And um, it kind of, it coincided like in 2006 when I got the ADA and I start to think about it a little bit more, it's like, well, okay, cool. You get your ADA MP1 and you program every sound you want in, in there. And then you just press a button and you go from this sound to that sound to that. You've got everything taken care of. Like it just make, makes so much sense to me. And I think now um, when I'm, I'm still not like a pedal guy at gigs. Um, in the studio, it's different. But at gigs, like doing a lot of tap dancing to turn stuff on and off, it really confuses me. I think you're kind of the same, right? You, you just like Pretty to Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And when I do go for different sounds, I like to, to go from like, you know, my clean sound and everything turns on to my dirty sound and everything turns on to my lead sound. What, like one switch. I just can't really deal yeah, with anything yeah. more than that. Because you're there to do the gig, you know? Yep. I remember doing a gig a couple of years ago now. It was a wax gig, but I took the FM3, but I took the FC12 so I could have all my effects. Yep. And I, I feel like I spent the first half of the gig just like turning stuff on for fun. And I was like, hey, man, this gig's like, it's a good gig. It's fun. The crowd's into it. Why don't you just <laughs> play the guitar? Like, unplug the big controller that you're spending half of the gig staring at and just do what you normally do, which is use three or four sounds. And you yeah, know kind I of doing that, it was because it was like, oh, I can have chorus for this bit, but phaser for the next bit. No one cares. Yeah. Do you know what I realized, Leon? Um, 
I realized this a few weeks ago because you know these guys that have these like really big pedal board like I'm talking locally guys that have pedal boards and stuff <laughs> oh, yeah. and a lot of different sounds you know what they do that we don't do they rehearse like actually do rehearsals with their bands like maybe every week and they care yeah whereas for the most part we just sort of both show up and um, play the song and then forget about it till the next time we have to play the song and I do wonder it's I think we both suffer from the thing of like you know what it's it's fine it's good like we did the job um, there's elements always to get better at things but I feel like getting a, a specific chorus sound for one part of one song is probably not the part that I want to focus on the most as much as like playing the song in time <laughs> and, yeah uh, like playing it tightly you yeah know? even you know the once in a blue moon when we actually rehearse it's it's mostly just like working out how does that part go again? Yep. Why did we stop playing it like that? Why haven't we ever played this song live? Yeah. Uh, rather than, um, I, I will say like, you know, we put the new single out and that was, I had to practice playing the song and turning sounds on. Right. Well, and it's like, you know, what? I have to turn the rotary speaker sound on for the verse and then switch back. And there's just a few little, yep. few little things, but it's mostly, it's still the same. <coughs> the same kind sort of. of- yeah. It's the same set of sounds, you know. It's uh, I can appreciate where if you're playing stuff, you know, if you were doing a, a theatre gig or something where you need yeah. very specific sounds, and I, I can get that, you know, having the big having the big board. Or when we spoke to James, you know, how it was like you got the the Strymon trifecta on there. Yeah, it's because what everybody has, you know, and it's mm. like expected that you have those things because you're in a studio environment. Hey, put on patch 10 from the Mobius. That's what we need. So mm. I like I like that aspect of it. But yeah, there's definitely, and I feel like everyone goes through it, mm. you know, oh, if I just have more space on my board, then I can do more things and the gig will be better where the that law of diminishing returns, the diminishing returns start happening really fast. Yep. Past the point of like clean, dirty, wobble, <laughs> Echo. <laughs> yeah. Anything more is a bit like, well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to the ADA. So I uh, I got my first one in 2006. I have, uh, yeah, I've got two MP1s, an MP2, an MP1 Classic. Yeah. Uh, and then two of the power amps um, and the micro cab. Technically, oh, and technically I have another micro cab and another ADA MP1 in a rack that isn't mine, but it just, it's sort of being stored here at the moment. So I've got a lot of ADA stuff. I I um uh from yeah about 2006 till probably about 2011 or something. I was really trying to exclusively use that ADA MP1. Like that's pretty much the amp I had. Um, I wasn't gigging at that time as well. It was a play in the bedroom situation. And but it's it was- a way to go like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the decision to use a particular piece of gear. Yeah, and. Like, that's going to be my sound. Yeah. You know, the same way you'd go, hey, uh, um, Mark 2C+, that's my sound. Or yep. old non-master volume Marshalls, that's my sound. It's a, it's a, or, a, you know, Fender Hot Rod Deluxe with some pedals, that's my sound. It's a, it's, it's like a necessary part of developing as a player, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I really liked it. I think um, there was a, a sound with the ADA MP1 and... At the time, what I was focused on, on focused on was playing lead guitar and playing guitar as fast as possible. And there was something about the like articulation of that amp that I didn't really get it with other amps that I tried or other rack gear. And yeah, it's funny because 
I mean, at that time, I didn't have a lot of other things to try out. Like now you and I collectively have so much gear, but we also know everybody that has everything that we could ever want to try. So Yeah, there's there's no there's no foreign tastes and smells in our in our universe now, you know. It's yeah. So but accessible. Absolutely. Um but yeah, what what did you sort of grab? We'll, we'll just talk about that unit for a minute. What did you gravitate towards? You when we started playing together, you weren't like using that. Um, I remember yeah. if anything using JMP one if it was going to be a rack, or you would use your TSL when we were doing like jamming and stuff. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question, uh, and I actually have to think about where the memory part of it. I think it was obviously growing up with you know one of your parents who plays music, plays guitar, and. My dad, when he stopped gigging, so in the early 90s, I think sold most of that stuff to my uncle who's right. a bass player. So when I think when he saw that I was pretty serious about guitar, you know, he, and I remember him digging out this old tape and being like, oh, you got to check this guy out. This is, you know, I got this Paul Gilbert video and that changed my life, Intense Rock <laughs> One. And, you know, he does same thing. He does, here's my rack, you know, this ADA and it does this. And I remember watching it with my dad and him going, I used to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sold it to your uncle. And I was like, oh, it sounds, yeah, it sounds so good, you know. And he would say, yeah, you can do, you know, you could do this, 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 and this, and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I just wasn't using it. So I got rid of it. And, um, but your uncle probably still has it. So, you know, let's, let's hit him up and, um, you know, find out. And then it was sort of like, you know, it ended up, I think he bought it back um, and then it was sort of like, cool, got the ADA back, try it out. And that was crazy because I was like, well, this is clearly superior. Just the way it works is better than any of the amps I've got because you have a hundred different sounds. Mm -hmm. That's better. You know, you can dial in the minutia of what you want. So similar thing where it's like you can hook it up with MIDI and then I you know, taught myself the basic of how to basics of how to program these things and MIDI. And that was like, you know, like you, I like learning things. So that mm. was, that was so fun. It's like, well, it's not pedals. It's different. This stuff was terminally uncool as well. Yep. You know, we're talking about like new metal is still the most popular sort of thing people are into. It was like before your darkness jet sort of thing made like retro rock music cool again. Uh, so it was, it was terminally uncool. <laughs> I like that it was different. No one knew what it was, who was our age. Mm-hmm. And from then, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was sort of this like, oh, cool. Well, what other rack gear is there? So I learned about the JMP1. And again, there was like someone sold one pretty cheap. And a PV Rockmaster, I think Junilite Music had one for like 100 bucks yep. or 150 bucks. So that's kind of like all around the same time. I reckon, you, yeah, you had a lot of that stuff when we met because that was we met in like December two thousand six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, so there was a lot, and I remember we bonded over the ADA MP one. But again, like you, you weren't really playing it that much at that time. But. Yeah, I think I liked the. I always remember someone saying, maybe someone who worked at a music shop, they were like, "Oh, the ADA is good, but like the JMP one sounds the most like an actual Marshall head." Right. You know that was, and I was like, "Oh, cool. Well, well, th- that's a good thing." Yeah, I. I did like the ADA, but uh, for whatever reason, I can't even remember why. Probably just because it said Marshall, you know, and I was like, well, Marshalls are the best. Yep. You know, I had the JMP1 and uh, then I, I remember getting a, I can't remember if I had that when we started playing together, the G major, but I, I definitely mm-hmm. did my year 12 graduation ceremony. I wrote a song and we, me and a bunch of the other music kids performed it. And it was basically <clears> just like, 
it sounded like Evanescence because mm-hmm. um, we had these two girls singing and one played piano. So we wrote this like song for- It you was know, 2005. It was the style at the time. Man, it was literally the style at the time. You put an onion on your belt, you listen to Evanescence. <laughs> uh, and we played it at the graduation ceremony. They had it this, um, they rented out, you know, uh, this hall from one of the churches. It had this amazing sound system in it. And I remember doing that gig. I had my JMP1 and an Intellifex. Mm-hmm. And like this, I just went hog wild programming. It was like, you know, the verse had all this chorus and reverb clean guitar and then the guitar solo had this ping pong delay it was it was basically what i still do now but uh yeah i i remember just being blown away by how good that sounded yep. and yeah and then I, I also remember one day i was running it into the effects return of a marshall head just plugging straight into the marshall and being like oh that actually kind of sounds better like what's wrong with me so I, I i did go back and forth with it i think it was just like you could it was You'd have a couple of sounds and it was easier than having a pedal board. Mm-hmm. And like, I also bought a bunch of like, like those Layla switches, switching systems oh, and that, yeah. always was going to build a board. But, you know, this is like pre-pedal train, pre-rock board, all that kind of stuff where it was like, if you wanted something, you kind of had to do it yourself. And yeah, I yeah remember, it was um, easier. I remember when you bought those Leal um, splitter things because, you know, the one that I never really, I still don't understand. I don't mean like you buying it. I mean, generally- there, there's the one that's like three guitars into one. So the, the I can understand yes. splitting a single signal into multiple things. But to me, what is still confusing is like, yeah, just like not unplugging your guitar cable and just plugging it into the guitar you want to use. Instead, yeah, like, which, you know, I can understand for, I've seen other uh, like rig rundown ones, like touring ones, when if you've got like a bunch of different, different wireless units, then yes. it's, it, might, it might be kind of useful to switch it there. But um, I have, I was speaking to someone else recently about that too, where it was uh, like locally, they were talking about not wanting to swap cables depending on what you know instrument they're going to use. I guess if it's a really, think, really quick change. But- I, think, I think for a multi-instrumentalist, it makes sense. Like say you were playing electric guitar, pedal steel and like banjo or uke yeah. for a country gig, then yeah, that's okay. perfect because you just pick the next thing up. That's fair enough, yeah. But for what I was doing, it was stupid. Uh, when I sold those things, you know, this is a fun little story. Uh, someone bought one over East and I posted it, but I posted them the wrong one. Like oh, there's right. the three at one and the one at three. Yep. And I got this message like, uh, hey, you sent me the wrong one. So, yeah, they, <laughs> they, I paid for them to send it back and then I sent them the right one. So, I remember feeling like a big dumb idiot. But I digress. So, yeah, I, I had a lot of that stuff around the time we started playing. And then I guess after, you know, that band, you left and then, you know, kind of eventually kind of became Ragdoll. The early days of Ragdoll, I was gigging with the JMP1, a G major, and I'd got a BBE Sonic Maximizer because why wouldn't you? It's the sickest. I remember when you got the Sonic Maximizer because I'm pretty sure I got delivered to my house. No, you know what it was? I bought it for you and you reimbursed me because you didn't have- I didn't uh, have PayPal. Yeah, or eBay or something like that. You went, well, it was one of the pro- two. Bro, me at the time, I probably didn't even have a bank account. Mate, you didn't have you a know? phone. It was like-, like, I remember, and this is 2006, man, like, or oh, 2007, like, I'd call you, but I have to call your home phone because you just didn't have a yep. phone. And then when we caught up year- after not talking for like a year or two, um, yeah, you finally got a phone. I'm like, oh, shit. And actually, what was also really funny is- in like 2010, when you guys came into to the record the first bunch of Ragdoll stuff, you had a phone, and then in between recording sessions, you'd got an iPhone as well. 
Yes, and, that's right. And then like two years after that, you were just one of the most chronically online people and on you, like never off Facebook and all this sort of stuff. Mr. Social Media used to call me. Yeah. And then it just stopped. And I was like, yeah, Leon's, um, Leon's come back to life a little bit. It was uh, it's quite not surprising. It's quite quite funny how that happened, but um, anyway, the I got the Sonic Maximizer because uh, I think I must That's have ordered so that for you, and it was the red one, which was yes. the I don't remember what model that is. It's uh, it starts it starts with an eight maybe, eight four eight two was that one? Yeah, but I was like being a um, eight chronic ADA um, uh, ADA Depot user. Yes, um, I had to have a BBE because that's what all of the people recommended. And then I was a bit more conservative with um, Shell. I just didn't ever want to spend money on anything. And um, yeah, you were just like, yeah, fuck it. I want, I'm going to buy this um, this BBE. And you, and I finally, you it got sent to my house and you're like, you can open it if you want. I'm like, yes. So I, I remember plugging it in and, and having a little bit of a go on it. And um, yeah, it was, it was definitely cool. One thing I found with the ADA when I was using it is... I think this would be different now. It's just like, you know, you, you look back with the ears of a 19-year-old. I found yeah. like there wasn't enough like high end in it for me. I was always cranking the presence control like so high. Yes. And that was so- uh, that was kind of the trick, right? That that gets you the that Paul Gilbert Mr. Big sound he had is like Yeah. crank the presence control. Well, I was always trying to find a unit that would do that, like give me that that high end sheen thing. Um that yeah, clearly wasn't in the ADA, so I thought, well, maybe it's the BBE, um, of which I do have one. Uh, I don't know if I've ever actually turned it on. I bought it for like eighty dollars secondhand. Yeah, um, but I actually got at the end of two thousand seven, uh, my rack going through like uni and when we were jamming, it just got it got bigger and bigger as I started to make more money and like understand how to use eBay. So I just started buying shit because I got a Rocktron Hush, uh, the Super C, I think it was called. I yeah. had, had that for a little while as a noise gate because it had to be a rack mount one. It couldn't be a boss pedal. That was nah, just Velcro. Why would you have a pedal? No, rack, it, it better. Ha- has to be rack. Um, uh, quadriverb, uh, Elisa's quadriverb. Um, and I got the ADA power amp as well, the stere- the B200 power right. amp. Um, but yeah, I, I found a TC Electronics uh, 1140 um, rack mount parametric the EQ. parametric eq yeah right and i got that in, it was in terrible condition i found it in i remember adelaide. that yeah i got it the first time i went to adelaide um to visit my partner's family um yeah end of 2007 but it was like i thought this is it i finally got it the the answer to all my problems i can finally get that yep. high-end sheen and it just it was always so noisy um, <laughs> and it just didn't really ever ever work for me like the noise was was a problem in and of itself and I, the biggest thing I remember from that time, though, was like, why am I the only person doing this? Do you know what yeah, I mean? What's wrong with people? They're, they're missing out on the magic. Yeah, I just... it. It's funny to look back now because, like, you see so many... Uh, I'm, I don't mean to pop my, my own tires up by talking like this. I wasn't, like, on top of the trend or anything. But going back to what I thought when I was, like, 16 of, like, I should be able to hit one button and then everything changes. Like, wouldn't that be so much better? And you see that now with these pedal boards, like, with your gig rig stuff. Um, yeah, big time. And, yeah, and, the Boss and the ES8, the RJMs, it's all about yeah, making and, it function like a rack. Yeah, let alone your fractals and all that too. Yep. Um, but I just remember thinking, like, fuck, it's not that big. Like, a rack is probably about as the same size, all things considered, as a head. But you get so, so much more functionality in it. And um, I was also obsessed with getting... Because the um, ADA has a phantom, has phantom power 
on the MIDI. So one cable to front of stage, bro. Exactly. And um, yep. I remember in my rack once I had it all built. I had a it was a Gator um, six unit rack with uh, wheels on it, so you could you know just wheel wheel it around, so it wasn't that heavy or that difficult to transport. But um, one thing I I did was um, I I went to the local computer store, and you could get. Uh, lights that would go inside your computer cases because it's to build PCs and stuff. <laughs> there you go. Then. So I wired that on the inside of the rack just so the rack would light up and I thought it was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I still put lights in anything I possibly... I mean, you can see the LED strip in this place yep. now. Um, but yeah, the so the the one cable to front, like the easy setup, all this sort of stuff, it just it makes so much sense. Um, if I think about it now, the sound of it just wasn't quite what... I wanted. Yeah. It was cool. This is like, this is the elephant in the room, right? Like we also kind of didn't really know what we were doing with Yeah. I mean, like I think it's funny now. Like I I know I can get a better tone out of all these units because my ears have developed a little bit more. Um and that's from like uh using the preamp side of it or using the effects or whatever. So I I, I reckon I could, you know, dial well let's not say anything in, but I could make anything usable. Um yep. but at the same time it's like you want a dirty sound, just buy a fucking like DSL. It actually sounds pretty good. Buy a rectifier. Well, Troy, this leads us into why I stopped using this stuff to gig with the first couple of years of Ragdoll stuff. Again, JMP1, G Major, BBE, and I just run it into, there was a backline head, yep. use that. <clears throat> or when we do like uh, country gigs, I take that Laney combo mm -hmm. that's still kicking around here somewhere because- it's the power amp and the speaker. I never had a dedicated power amp. Mm -hmm. Always wanted one, but could never like justify the cost. Just use the effects return of a head. And we did a gig <sighs> at, I think at Amplifier Bar. And you came up and you were like, yeah, it was cool, man. You should, you should just use a head, you know, because it's like your guitar sounds fine, but just use an amp. And I remember being like, okay, Troy, I will do that. And then the next gig I did, I think I just like literally it was tuna wah. Soldano, and that was <laughs> which is funny to think one of the. Oh, I just had a Soldano. Like, I just had a around. Soldano. I wasn't using. Yeah, you know, but I did that, and I remember having a great gig. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we played at Amps, and it was uh, it was actually the first gig we did as a three piece. Like, did the three piece thing for a few months, got someone else in the band that didn't work out, so went back to being a three piece. And it, that was all like, no, we are a three-piece band forever and always now. And I used that rig and it was just awesome. Like yep. everything about it was awesome. I was like, cool, never going back. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, for a while anyway. But yep. yeah, and I, I just remember it was so much easier to dial in because you just, you know, you plug a few things in, you have your pedals on the floor for your boost and your wire or whatever I was using. And, uh, you know, you let someone mic it and do all the hard stuff with it. You know, I, I didn't need ping pong delays and chorus and yep. all those kind of things. It was, it was nice to strip it down and just really work on playing. I think what you guys were doing back in like 2011-ish, uh, it was a bit more 80s sounding and you could get yeah. away with the JMP1 and the G... Well, the JMP is not an 80s unit, but you know what I mean? It, it lends itself to that sound a bit more. Whereas when you're playing slightly more detuned stuff and heavier stuff yeah like the actual punch uh at a gig it and the 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 uh effect of the sound filling the room was a bit more useful big um, time and 
Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny now that you're using completely digital stuff for all the gigs. It like you go back and forth a little bit, but I at the same time the PA's these days are a little bit different than what they were in, in like most of the venues. Like they're a bit fuller, and what you can travel with now is like man, like you and I gigged with the old um, uh, EV plastic boxes and little yeah. like, Yamaha uh, power mixer for a long time, which was okay to listen to vocals but if you try to put a whole band through that thing it wasn't really up to the up to the standard but you can get a cheap PA and make all this work really well and really seamlessly and it's not really a problem so it's a case of like the all of the gear sort of evolves at once I suppose yeah yeah it's you can't have the the digital solutions can be great, but if there's not the uh, like sound reinforcement aspect of it then it's not going to work and most venues here now they expect people to be using modelers and they have in-ear sends hardwired into their stages and things like that. So it's significantly easier. But yeah, that was kind of it for me uh, until, you know, obviously until the I, I got a your old Axe Ultra to tour with and that was convenient. Yep. Uh, and it, here we are. But it was when, uh, for me, the like the re- so this was like, it was basically like ADA, JMP1, a few weird pre, I was really into preamps. Yeah, me too. You know, that's what I liked. Uh, not so much the effects side of stuff. I didn't really understand reverb or delay or the difference between any of this kind of stuff. It was just like preamps are cool because no one else likes them and it's my thing. And then doing YouTube stuff, I think early on I did like a preamp shootout video and the video got a lot of hits. I was like, hang on. There's people out there who like this stuff. What's wrong with them? Uh, and it was probably like- Shout out to you, Michael you know, Torin. Exactly, Michael Torin. Exactly. It's a, the photos that he sent me last week of his rig are just- Oh, my God. Incredible. We've got to get him on. But I digress. The preamp thing, and it took me a long time to come around to the actual rack effects and why people get obsessed with the specific units that they do, right? Yeah. Um. I remember that preamp shooter that you did because that was all hooked up through that Rocktron MIDI switcher as well, wasn't it? Correct, oh, yeah. Rocktron um, channel switcher, which yep. um, I remember you had, like someone commented on that about the way it was hooked in because it didn't something, like one of those pre's didn't quite sound right or something. Yeah, and this is, this is actually kind of where it, the actual realizing there were people who still like rack stuff who are experts on it and the rig building thing and like, you know, Someone was like, oh, hey, you know, that switcher that you're using, it's messing with the impedance. So one of the units that sounded crap, it's like, have a listen to the difference between it patched in with the unit and then plugging straight in. When I plugged straight in, it was totally different. So it was like, oh, and then noise issues and grounding and that. I remember there was a long thread <laughs> on huge racks inc, you know, which was uh, all these survivors <laughs> went with their stuff. It was a full rig build on there. Mm -hmm. Where someone was just like, "Hey, this is I'm building the I'm building the ultimate Bradshaw rig myself," and it was like, "You got to have an Eventide H3000, you got to have a PCM70, and the way they loaded the heads down and the different it was like, I just remember reading this thread and being like, "This is beautiful," and I don't know anything about these units, mm -hmm. and that's kind of where the obsession started for me. And then, you know, seeing the Michael Nielsen videos, and um, there's a guy, uh, I forget which. Pretty sure he's in Scandinavia, Christian Larson. It's like the tri-stereo chorus thing and uh, all those kind of sounds. There's there's just a video online if you look up the tri-stereo chorus. It's like that, a timeline for delay, even tied detune. It is the 80s clean sound. So, yeah, someone sent me a Rockman as well, which 
was really cool in the early days of the channel to sort of get access to that. And it was like rediscovering all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, almost from, to me, it was like almost understanding the context a bit better of why this stuff was made and yep. the records it was actually used on. And uh, it's, it's, you know, coming at it from that perspective of like, rather than this is weird stuff that just happened to be made. Right, for, honestly, man, I think for us as teenagers, it's kind of like that was a great unknown. It yep. felt exotic <clears throat> and like it felt like forgotten knowledge, Yeah, you know, because of where the internet was at the time and being in Perth. But coming back at it, uh, the way I've done it and kind of the way we've done it now is like it's not forgotten knowledge. Everyone, you know, this stuff's really well documented now. So it's yep. like why is a lexicon reverb great? You can go on to Gearspace and like read Michael Kahn's from Lexicon, break down the history of their reverbs. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I feel like we're just probably like one full generation removed from this stuff, like to, to understand fundamentally the whys. Yeah. You know, it's, um, but we, we're there. You know, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Like maybe, uh, don't do this, but, you know, JHS has this like, hour and a half video about the rat it's like yeah someone needs to do michael torrent like he's he's got everything surely he knows everything someone needs to put together the uh the uh, the official unofficial history actually you were talking about that the other day about a coffee table book hey someone should do a coffee table book yeah. and it should be michael torrent yeah because uh, michael has all the stuff but yeah it's certainly just a just a video like the, the history of it um there's and there's a lot of i always find it really funny when you get these new units in like i didn't know anything about those sony units like never heard Man. of them and then it's just like, yeah, check check it out. Here's, here's three things that sound awesome. Um, I have to give my buddy Brian Hook a very, very, very big shout out who, someone who watched my channel, who hit me up for some lessons. And uh, this is at the start of the pandemic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just a person I was teaching online. And the more we got chatting about classic rack gear, they were just like, you know, there's um, they had an incredible synth collection. And it's sort of saying, yeah, you know, I've owned all these classic rack units and I'd love to hear you do your thing through them. Can I send you some stuff? So, yeah, that was like an incredible opportunity to have somebody basically like, you know, funding the obsession. So, that's one reason why I had so much stuff on there where it's like I literally had someone who was willing to just be like on eBay or Reverb and see some weird thing and be like, I never got to try that. I'll send it to Leon and then listen to the half hour demos. So that was, um, yeah, that was incredible. And Brian's like, I still keep in touch with him. Awesome, awesome dude. Like really, the the angle on it was it's like, hey, this is kind of like a public service where there are these units. Not all of them work. They're hard to find. Some of them are rare. Putting up actual in-depth demos with them and trying to make them sound as good as possible and have an accurate representation of what they can and can't do. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because I, I was watching a Kyle Bull video just before we jumped on to do this, and with his um his collection of amps, it's kind of like you become a librarian of yes of all the all this gear. It's um or a museum almost of uh, like that's kind of the uh that's where you are with some of the rack gear and, and what your channel is it's just that that's where you find the knowledge it's it's, it's really- like say take something like kyle though which i really like because kyle's obviously coming at it from like a kind of hardcore punk thrash background which is not our background at all yep so to hear him play through like a 5150 <clears throat> 
5150 is like that became the amp for certain genres that I've I've no experience playing, but like hearing what he does with it and why you do it, and it's like understanding the context of these things for those mm. styles is again, it's it is to me that's like a that's an important you know I don't want to oversell it, but it's like you're capturing part of the culture that these things were used in. Mm. You know, they're not. Uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about history and archaeology, and you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff they talk about is like, oh yeah, this ancient community of people, they're they're known by their distinctive pottery shards, <laughs> you know. So it's on one level, it's like, oh cool, well then you can document them, but then trying to understand them as human beings. To me, it's like this gear is when we were younger, it's like an eighty AMP one was like a big, it's like a vase that made it through. A mil- like a, a million different hands in a thousand years and it's like oh people used to make honey mead in this so let's try and come out with our own recipe for it whereas now it's sort of like oh hey you know it's used on if you listen to porno graffiti like michael wagner did this this and this nuno did this and you sort of capture why this gear was used in the context it was used in yeah uh, not that one is worse than the other because when we kind of came to it we were trying to do a very specific thing mm-hmm. Uh, and whether we were successful or not, I don't know, but um, there is that thing, you know, if I demo like a TC2290 or an Eventide, there's certain things people want to hear. Yep. Um, but then there's certain things that I want to do with those units that weren't part of the initial context. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's why when I demo reverb pedals, I always do the dirty sound first now because right. you do the clean sound and, oh, it's reverb and it sounds pretty. It's like, well... If I'm going to use like a PCM70 and I want to use the rich plate on it because that's Lynch Mob and Queensryche. I'm going to, I want filth out of it. That's not what they were developed for. You know, yeah. they're like all those things were attempts. If we're talking about reverbs, for example, they were attempts to uh, like recreate real spaces. And it's almost like the initial attempts were limited by the technology and the knowledge and they actually weren't that accurate, but then they had a very specific sound and they were used on classic records. So, you know, the initial intention for making them and the initial use aren't necessarily the same thing. So like the stuff a PCM96 has, if you wanted to like use it on a classical recording to place instruments in space, way better, but it doesn't sound like a 480L or a 224. Yeah. Yeah, the like we... Well, did you play around with the PCM96 much? I don't remember. We used it on- No, I, I, I never have. Um, yeah. And I've heard that about the Brocasti as well, where it's like, yeah, it's not what you expect. Yeah. I haven't used the Brocasti because they, well, they're expensive and uh, yeah. there's a, probably a couple around. The PCM96, we had one at the studio um, that cranked for a couple of years. And I, I reckon that was used on the first Ragdoll stuff. Um, yeah. Interesting. But yeah. It definitely was on the, on the, first, on the first Luke album. But yep. uh, on vocals and stuff, but it was cool. Um, it was the the lexicon plugins are the same effectively. Yeah, like they probably sound a little bit different because of the you know your old hardware first plugin sort of thing. But yeah, it wasn't like um, I don't know if history will look back on it as being a classic unit in the same way that you do with the like the PCM70 or the 480 or something like that. And not to say it's good or bad, it's just like, it, it's just a really good sounding reverb. There's a lot of other really good sounding reverbs that exist yeah. in um, plug-in format nowadays. So I I don't know with that one in particular if you need the unit, but uh, there's, I'm sure people doing way different stuff than what I am 
that would say differently. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, right. Or like the Sony R7, which is, is <clears throat> you know, was a high-end audio unit. And, you know, I've got one here and play distorted electric guitar through it and it's cool. But, you know, I'm sure if you were recording a string quartet and you needed like a kind of room simulation, that's probably where that's coming from. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, there's this thing with like, and it's the same with pedals and, and amps as well, where it's like, character versus precision and if you look at something like like so here was the other thing right i got an spx 90 a couple of years ago from japan um and my understanding is spx 90s are either thrashed out or in mint condition there's no in between <laughs> yeah. uh but i also remember early days with my dad saying he's like oh the other unit he was like i never had one but lots of people use it was the spx 90 mm -hmm. you know that was the so i'd always i'd always wanted one for that reason but when I got it, I did some reading about it and I was like, oh, this is kind of the first widely available, affordable multi-effects unit because mm -hmm. it does more than just, uh, you know, if, if we, if you go back to the, um, I guess the history of the development of this stuff is like the, uh, you know, not all, not all reverbs are created equal, not all like digital delays are created equal where most digital delays now are an AD converter some DSP st stuff and then another AD converter, whereas like an early like Roland digital delay, you're using the the digital part about it is the digital delay line, which was replacing the bucket brigade stuff, which was replacing tape. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everything else around it is analog. So you have a lot of filtering and compounding and stuff. And that imparts an imperfect character to it. And people start to like the character about it. Same thing with like, you know, why... One reason Lexicon PCM42s are so expensive <clears throat> is not because of the delay, it's because of the preamp. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, what was it, like Andy Wallace and yeah, there's a, a bunch of stuff like, like that. There's like a trick of, uh, it's a limiter in it, I think, because yep. it has, I think it must be on the input, like some limiter on the input. But yeah, the Andy Wallace uh, guitar trick is that you just drive it and put a short delay time on. So if you want to make your guitar sound wider, you pan like your clean, well, unaffected guitar one side and then the lexicon with the distorted limited signal and the delay to the other side, it makes it sound big and wide. And I've never tried it like with a, a real one because I don't have one. Um, there's, yeah. like, there's lots around, but man, they got so expensive so quickly. Um, yeah, they're definitely in that conversation of like, I mean, they're expensive for a reason and I get that they're kind of rare, but they, they were also... Um, you know, some of this stuff like the, especially the lexicon stuff, I always just associated with reverb. I didn't know that about the PCM42, but like um, something I got turned on to a little while ago is like all the stuff, you know, like Brian Eno. I never understood Brian Eno, right? <laughs> yep. And the using studio gear as part of the musical process and that early electronic stuff is like, you know, when you change the delay, like the times two button on an old digital delay, how it would, you could use it as a pitch shifter and right. like there's all these kind of fun tricks which if you're like a, someone who wants to play metal or rock music, you're never going to use. You just want an echo that sounds good. Yep. But that that side of it, I think <coughs> I have a lot more appreciation for or like, you know, using a reverb and looping it into a pitch shifter to create shimmer, which, yep. you know, is like part of that came from the fact that like, you know, if you're using a DX7, or like FM synthesis, a lot of the time the stock sounds are like really boring and they don't have a lot of character. So you get the character by adding 
time-based effects to it yep. versus I think in like Guitar Land, Distorted Guitar has a lot of characters. So Yeah, uh, and that's really funny because uh, I, I, it's taken me a long time to really understand that uh, and I certainly don't think I use it effectively enough now, but the like I just I never really understood chorus at all, right? Yep. Um, and I'm, I've come around to it a bit. I, I do use it now. But if you turn the chorus effect off certain synths, like take a Juno or something like that. Yeah. It yeah, just yeah. sounds so lame. But you just coming as you say, coming from guitar and coming from like, you know, rock guitar, seventies, eighties rock guitar, uh, and I mean, I was about to say like, oh, look at Eddie Van Halen, like he used time based stuff, so let's not be too fucking yeah. stupid about it. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It always feels simple. It shouldn't be like, yes, we're talking about racks and stuff, but. It's your how much gain are you using? How what's your EQ settings? Yeah. Like that's the thing that matters, not the like you're crafting the sound by using a phaser or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think for guitar, <clears throat> like we're always looking for character. I think that's been the common. If I could extract what I why maybe I was after these particular things, you, you get these old rack preamps, and they have a different character to a DSL or a fifty one fifty, and you know that can be something that you're after or a particular rack delay, like, you know, the, say like the 2290, there's not a, like what it does is so cool and it does a lot of different things, but, uh, you know, it's even like the Roland SDE and the SDE 1000, for example, you know, the common thing was like, oh, well, the DD2 has the same chip, so it's the same thing. They're not the same thing. You know, there's all this extra stuff in the rack unit that can impart character or, you know, different workflows and things like that. So I think as guitar players, we're always looking for these, like, we like the crust and we like the imperfections. So mm. an SPX 90 versus an XPX 2000, you know, the 2000 is going to be, have way better reverb algorithms and be more accurate and be more powerful. But when you put it on a guitar, the bandwidth limited nature of guitar anyway, kind of means that maybe the symphonic effect on it, like it can just make the guitar pop in a mix or live yeah. when you when you kick it on and it's it's like part of the again I don't want to use the term mojo but it's like it has a specific sound that it does yep. and if you're chasing something that isn't maybe as widely available mm -hmm. it can give you that yeah <clears throat> uh two two things firstly I did have an SPX 2000 for a while uh oh, right. got rid of that um I sold that in 2011 to get my first waves bundle wow enough, because there you go uh yeah someone uh, as a live sound unit it's still great um but i, I just wasn't using it I, I think i got it pretty cheap and sold it for a bit more than what i paid for it and bought a waves bundle and that has been significantly more useful over the course of my career exactly right but uh, and uh, it's so it's crazy now with plugins like when you buy a plugin you can use multiple instances of that plugin yeah. on different tracks uh, yeah. versus a rack unit. You can, you got I one. mean, some multi effects have multi IO, but it's basically like you got your one sound. Yeah. I had a, um, a Sony D, I think it was called the DPS V55M. Yep. 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 So I had that in the late 2000s. I also sold that around 2011 because I wasn't really using it, but that was a multi input. So I had had four inputs you could run i believe four mono effects or two stereo effects or that maybe about right. one like super duper algorithm or something like that but every time you if like if you're using it more channels of it um as in like you're uh if using four mono effects versus the stereo ones like it does have a slightly 
different, like worse algorithm, whatever. <laughs> I think to yeah. save on uh, yeah. on DSP. But yeah, it was like it was okay, but ultimately, because you know back then the idea was that plug-in reverb was still terrible and if you wanted yeah. to get, have really good reverb, you still need to have some sort of hardware unit and that's why I ended up with yep. that and also why I got the Yamaha, which I, until you mentioned, I hadn't thought about that unit for years and That's years. crazy, man. But um, yeah, it's it, all that stuff's caught up big time. Yeah, um, and it's kind of converged. Like it used to be that Yamaha reverbs sounded different to Eventide reverbs sounded different to Lexicon reverbs because- they had to invent how to do it yeah. from scratch. Um, there was, with the H90 that Eventide just put out, they have the SP2016 algorithm okay, in there. Yeah. And I did a video with it and uh, I got into like a uh, conversation with, I think, Anthony Agnello from Eventide, who like, you know, invented the original SP2016 and sort right. of said, hey, I had to do all this from scratch and going in, it was like, well, I just want this to sound good. So, it has a like- where you are in the room parameter, which I think is really interesting, which something like a lexicon doesn't. Right. Um, and again, it was just because they were independently having to figure out how to do artificial reverberation and not make it sound like absolute garbage. Because I've actually gone and, you know, uh, Sean Costello, Valhalla, has all these great resources if you want to learn about the history of digital reverb mm -hmm. um, and, you know, having a maths background. I've read a lot of the papers on like Schroeder diffusers and stuff like that. And, uh, you can like you can make these things and they sound terrible. Yeah. Um, and then you hear like the early lexicon stuff or Eventide stuff, and it sounds beautiful. Like they they just they did it. Um, and then you hear like the reverb in like a Rev Seven or an SPX ninety. It's good, but in a different way. It is a bit more metallic and not yeah. as diffuse. But you know, is that just you put the on filter, a kick drum? It, or, is the filtering that? Sorts it out. I can imagine. I that's think it's a big part I, of it. I imagine it's filtering and it's algorithm design okay. and how many delay lines you can have and like right. there's a lot of yeah a lot of you know there was a lot of hurdles to jump over but you know if you listen to them in isolation yeah like the lexicon stuff sounds really pretty but then like you put the Yamaha early reflections on guitar and it just makes it sound thick yep. and it's pretty cool. It's not perfect but again it's got character. Yeah. Whereas <clears throat> I think by the nineties it's like all these tricks and, you know, how to make things sound smooth. It's like everything kind of converged, whether it was for better or worse. Like, it's sort of the vanilla effect with it, maybe. Uh, it's funny. I was going to say before the, um, when I was studying, we had uh, a few SPX 90s just around the uni that were yeah, right. uh, dragged out for various purposes for um, shows or whatever, and maybe one in the studio. But the general consensus was like, don't use it because it's the worst <laughs> reverb of all time, and that was the um, that was the the official line from the head lecturer, and it was I think partly the metallicy sound of it, but I think it was just had a I I think it was a little bit noisy as well, so they just hated yeah, right. it, like, the people that, and the same as the quadroverb was like uh, there was a very f uh, not famous, but there was a. Um, experience i had with this lecturer trevor Gaines. so shout out to you not that he's ever gonna ever gonna ever listen to any podcast ever but um he and i had a few battles when we're studying and we're i still i try and catch up with him whenever possible now because he's um yeah he's been really good to me but um he was talking about how uh noisy the uh quadruped was and then when i put one in my guitar rack when i bought one um i did this thing where when the quadruped was off the guitar noise was louder. And when I turned it on, the guitar noise went quieter. And I, I was like, oh my God, 
it's like it's amazing like how does it do this and he came in and i was like you know trevor i've got to show you this thing this quadruverb is amazing it actually like cuts the noise like i don't know what you're talking about and i turned it on and off and showed him he said oh yeah cool play play a chord i was like okay play a chord and when the thing is off the like volume goes up everything's <laughs> louder yeah and it's just like oh, okay when the unit is on clearly i haven't like got the the gain structure quite right so that's so funny man a, yeah i also loud ha- is more good after all yeah i also had a, a massive argument one time with him where i i got like the fletcher munson curve and inverse square law mixed up and uh I, he he let me go on about it for like an hour and a half until he finally corrected me at the end. Like, yeah, you're not talking about the right thing, but okay. yeah, you got it the wrong way around, bro. Yep. Don't worry. These these smart people who do audio are actually correct. Yeah, um, I was going to say sometimes you got to go down that and just be like having someone you can butt heads with until you realize you're the idiot is yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, there's I've had a few lectures. I had a few lectures like that when I was studying. There's one that I only had for one year. Uh, Derek Kreckler was his name. And um, because I was like 18 and thought I knew everything and only liked heavy metal, um, and he was a guy that loved Brian Eno, so uh-huh. we, we didn't get along very well and had a few, uh, uh, yeah, a few battles, which I, I'm sure I thought I won, and yeah, I absolutely yeah, yeah. was the asshole. And it's actually really funny. Um, I don't. I feel like I don't really have uh, those similar discussions with students, like antagonistic discussions. Um, actually. If he listens to this, Jay, one of my students, um, he always comes in with uh, these questions that completely derail whatever I'm talking about. And we go on a 45-minute tangent about something, which is always fascinating, but always derails a very simple conversation about something uh, unrelated. Um, I was going to say, just last thing on the SPX90, like, because of that experience at uni, I always thought they were so terrible and I never wanted to have one anywhere near my rack. Um and I didn't realize that until well later, like probably even when we were talking about, uh, okay, you know, the symphonic patch and what that is and what that's been used on. And it's like, oh, okay, life makes sense all of a sudden. Yeah. When you when you know it's on what it's on, you're like, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> Zach Wilde didn't just plug in like a boss chorus pedal to the front of a JCM 800. Uh, that's why... It- it never sounds right when I try to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like it is it is cool that there's these things that have these. They were used on things that are so foundational. Yeah, uh, I mean for the way my ears developed and probably for you as well, where it's like you play that piece of gear and you're instantly connected um, yep. to what it is. It's the same as like a Strat Tube Screamer Fender amp for me is like oh Stevie Ray Vaughan, cool. <laughs> that's that's just an energy, yep. you know, that you get out of that rig. So, and, and which is kind of nice. Um, yeah. And then some stuff like the Sony DPS M7. No one talks about it. There's a patch in there called Spiral Modulation, which is like one of my favorite delays ever. It's not on anything. That's awesome. It's like this blank slate. You can just play things through it and it doesn't remind you of anything. Yep. And it's cool. And there's no plugin that does it. Uh, it'll be easy to recreate with a plugin. Recreate it in the Axe Effects and it's pretty cool. But it's just so, uh, it, like, so many ideas that you can see in a parallel universe, they became the big thing yep. rather than the thing that is the big thing. It's not It's not just like, well, the 2290 was just destined to be the greatest delay. It's like, oh, it was kind of right place, right time. Yeah. Actually, the other thing I was going to say quickly about the SPX stuff is um, I'm pretty sure all those algorithm algorithms, uh, okay, like your Symphonic Patch was in a lot of Yamaha 
um, effects and the early reflection ones and the drum verbs, yep. I think, whatever it's They've called. They've kind of done it but through it, the line. Yeah, but it's also the same effects that are in like all the digital consoles as well. Ah, interesting. So, we had um, the O1V, which is just like a little, I think it was a 12 or 16 channel um, digital console early. Pro, it was the was it Pro something in the 90s and then the O1V and then there was like a 96K version of it. We had all those going through uni because there were um, early affordable digital consoles. So like pre your Behringer XR16s and whatnot. Um, this was like, you know, still faders and, and everything like that, but fairly robust. But so, they were, and yeah, kind of easy to use. Interesting, so, yeah, yeah. Um, we we used those a lot when I was when I was studying, and yeah, all those effects were pretty much in there, and they become fairly ubiquitous in terms of the uh, use in live sound situations. Like if you walk into a venue, it's always going to be one of those units there, and yeah, yeah. Um, There's going to be in 20 years a retro thing with people where they're using <laughs> these like. Behringer desks and the, the like the all-in-one Yamaha mix things to to make music, you yep. know, because um, it's stuff no one wants right now, and we we can't envision why anyone would want to go back to that time, but it's it's going to happen. Yeah, I reckon there's been a conversation I've had with a student in the last twelve months that's been, oh, I've bought this piece of gear, whatever it is, like a, a pedal or something, and I've laughed in their face, like, man, I was around when that was a thing and it was terrible then like what do you th like the equivalent of like a marshall mode 4 let's say yeah yeah it's like oh or a marshall mg yeah so yeah, it's it's funny so who knows what's going to be what's going to be popular um i what i think is funny you know we're talking to, to get back to the preamp stuff um and your positive slash negative influence on the ada community and the fact that <laughs> people have them now it's like hey, ada depot also is like one of the nicest places on the internet awesome. so shout out to everybody there i've learned so much from that and in particular marshall jmp the man the myth the legend yeah absolutely and we, we should try and have a chat with him too because that'd be awesome he's the ada man um but i think it's really great it's like when we spoke to um charles you know, he's got, yeah. I, I still can't believe he has an ADA in his rack that he uses because so many, like for for me, I've got ADAs over there, but they're mostly for show. I, I intend yeah. to use them, but they just don't get the love because they, they do a couple of things really well, but I've got other amps that I just find a bit more useful to me, you know? Exactly. But, You've got your stiletto now, which is the underrated beast, I you know? I certainly like, do. I, had I to feel like there's a few of those things that have come into our lives where it's like, like yep. my old recto, yep. your stiletto, your Marshall. It's sort of like, oh no, these are the cool, wacky old pieces that yeah that work just way louder. I what I did try, uh, you know, you've okay. Like, let me take a tangent, a related but slight tangent. So, the two no notes torpedo, uh, uh -huh, the, yeah. the two notes uh, wall of sound plugin. Sorry, not the torpedo. Um, and you've got that plugin, don't you? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I like uh, literally the power amp simulation in yep. it is a nice thing to have. That's the thing, right? So, if anyone happens to have the wall of sound plugin and just use it for uh, like speaker IRs, of which it does that really well, something that I suggest if you have a um, like a rack preamp, like an ADA or something like that, is get on that power amp simulation and just crank it all the way up. Because yeah, it's good. It's a, actually good. Yeah. There's a thing about that which makes it a. a just a rack preamp sound like an actual guitar amp all of a sudden it's yep. really surprising and you can obviously change the different types of power tubes and stuff in there um so i was using the uh mp1 with that for a little bit uh 
it was actually during the pandemic when I was hooking stuff up and I had a bit of a, a nerd out with it. Um, and I bought the the Two Notes Cab M because that also has power up simulation yeah, as well. Yeah, okay. And I thought, well, that actually is going to make more sense because I can take these um, like rack preamps that I have, run them into the Cab M, put the power up simulation, put the IR on, and then just record it like it would be a normal guitar amp. Because I will say, um, I've had pretty uh, inconsistent results with the Wall of Sound plugin. Uh, right. In terms of actual operation of it, uh, it's it's yeah, a weird. Okay. I've tried it. I've tried to work it out, and I just don't have a solution for it. But on this computer, if I open up the wall sound plugin and tweak some stuff, and then close the plugin and open the plugin up again, the sounds default to the default patch, and it's really weird and very difficult to use it because <laughs> you know you tweak something, you spend a bunch of time going through I- IRs, and it's be- completely unusable. So yeah, um, again, using the Cab M because it's just a small box and it tracks the sound down, like no harm, no foul, it's all, all done. So I did try that for a little bit and I shot it out with on a, a few projects, the ADA MP1 using the Cab M and they just didn't beat the amp, unfortunately. So uh, it wasn't the winner. But uh, It was not the one. Not the one. Maybe I'll, I'll probably investigate it again at some point. But uh, yeah, I said, anyone that's got that plug in, uh, power amp simulation, it's it's pretty important. Yeah, um, I, I would say that definitely better than preamp into IR. Well, I feel like maybe we should do part two of this and get the Tauren on here. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get in touch with him this week and we'll make it happen and do and then get some some real deep preamp yeah. and effects lore. And uh, as a, I, I will finish up with one thing just as a, I want to talk about this with him or anybody that wants to comment with some more knowledge because. Your um, when we just quickly spoke about the rack preamps, there's still I can't work this out, but maybe I'm just really stupid. Your rack preamps running through that Rocktron switcher, right? I don't understand how impedance was an issue in that situation, considering how the unit works. Because you were just running one unit at a time, weren't you? You went. I was. Yeah, there so, was something funky going on though. I don't know if it was like there was a buffer that I was using or something like that, where it was just. Yeah, so if anyone, if anyone has a bit more insight, because as far as I'm aware, it should be like guitar goes into the front, it goes through the loop you want and out again, unless it's the impedance created from like all the little patch cables connected together. But maybe even, that was it. But even that- Or not, maybe it's it's, not, maybe be, it's just not a very well isolated switcher or something. Maybe. So, I mean, from my understanding, like this, the- guitar signal doesn't get routed to the piece of equipment until you actually press the on button of yeah, the piece right. of equipment. It's but like- there are all those little patch cables, which is annoying. And the switchblade doesn't have... Uh, people can go and watch my switchblade video that I did recently. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Charles at Bad Robot for getting me on that. And and to you, Troy, for finding that one that I actually bought for a decent price. Yeah, that's... Like, if I had that 15 years ago, you know, that would have been a lot easier yeah. managing a rack. But also... It, Right place, right time with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So. so, if we can talk to Michael Torren, we'll talk about how you can actually switch all this stuff and use all this stuff and not just have it look cool in a rack because he's got it. Uh, he's got stuff functioning. and that's, It's incredible. That's impressive. It's so incredible. And uh, with that, Troy, I think we will wrap this episode up. Uh, if anybody has experiences with <laughs> classic rack gear or not classic rack gear, let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from what you used. Uh, you know, this was sort of our... A little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of like what we're doing currently, a little bit of just chewing the fat about it. It's such a fascinating topic and still, I think, an underappreciated part of the uh, vintage guitar gear realm. Yep, absolutely. So, 
Good on you, mate. Hey, good on you, Leo. mate. Gra- hey, great, great job. Thumbs up. And uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna start feeling better, mate. I hope so. And uh, you know, I hope so too. Let's see. So, uh, Fremantle's got um, Sydney this weekend. West Coast has Carlton. Ooh. How you feeling, mate? You feeling pretty good about West Coast Carlton? I mean, if they lose by less than 100 points, that's a win at the moment, right? Harry McKay's out, so that's that's a big plus. Yeah, they played better without him last week. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe Charlie Kerner won't kick eight goals. That'd be nice. Maybe he'll kick 12. And, uh, you know, as a final parting thing, everybody, just go watch some AFL if you don't live in Australia. Go and get around the boys. And specifically you know, get around they, the West Australian. Yeah, get into the West Australian teams, West Coast Eagles, Fremantle Dockers. Everyone else can go to hell. We don't care about them. But uh, uh, those days, ever since we spoke to Jason at Headfirst as a St Kilda guy, St Kilda, not yeah, going great. Away. So uh, you're welcome. You're brilliant, Troy. Hey, good on you, mate.